This is the Save the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast. I'm Logan Anderson here, your host, as always, and we have a very special guest joining us today. He is the Vice President of Broadcast Operations of Learfield Sports. He's probably the guy that you someday want to work for if you're listening to this. His name is Tom Bowman, and Tom, thanks for joining us here today. Not not a problem, Logan. I appreciate you having me. So one of the things I like to talk to with everybody who comes on for the very first time is if you're in the broadcasting industry, you've had a fortunate break or a lucky coincidence that led to, basically led to you getting either your first job or your first major job. What was your big break in the sportscasting industry? Well, it, it's interesting because people always ask, you know, well, what's the path that you took? And I'm like, my path doesn't make any sense. I don't know if you could replicate it. So... I was actually delivering bottled water to a, uh, a with for a local company that uh, was in the hometown that I was at, and I listened to my local radio station all the time. It was a rock station. Uh, I was in my early twenties, and I, they were having a volleyball tournament, and each DJ had a team. So I thought, well, I'm going to call up my favorite DJ, the mid the midday guy, and offer up water from my company if he'll let me be on the team. That happened. I participated. We became friends. And I went to the radio station one day looking for a sales job. And about two weeks later, he called me back and said, hey, man, you want to be on the air? And they had a overnight, midnight to six, live uh, shifts, Friday into Saturday, Saturday into Sunday. And I stepped on it quickly. And, and there's the first gig that I had. It was at Quad 106.5 in Sacramento. It was a top 30 market. And uh, it was a great break. And that's one of those things that is becoming a pattern that I'm noticing is that pretty much nobody's path is is really replicable a lot of different ways. Uh, reading about, that's one of the things I actually wanted to talk about because looking up uh, just kind of some talking points when I was preparing for this interview, it looks like that quad, KWOD, in Sacramento was quite the interesting place to be, kind of one of the pioneering stations of the alternative radio format. Give us some stories of what it was like working there. It seemed like a very free-spirited environment. Well, you got to remember that even though it was a top 30 market, I worked for an independent owner, a guy named Ed Stoltz, who's still in the business. He owns a radio station in San Francisco. He owns a radio station in Palm Springs. Uh, Ed was a, a guy who inherited the radio station from his parents. It was a heritage uh, power FM in Northern California. The original call letters were QUAD way, way, way back when, when you didn't have the K's and uh, and the W's. And so Ed kind of inherited the radio station from his parents. So this was his toy. And he was that prototypical guy who probably built ham radios, you know, in his basement. And, uh, you know, now he was the cool guy that owned a radio station. He was an odd duck. Um, and so you were forced to learn everything. And Alex Cosper, who was the, uh, the midday talent and the program director and the guy that hired me, um, really did help pioneer the alternative rock uh, format. So I got there in the mid-90s, 1995, and, uh, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers and bands like Korn and 
um, you know, bands like that were hot. And so because you work for an independent owner, you can do a lot of stuff. You don't have a lot of corporate input. You didn't have, I never had a consultant, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess depends on how you look at it, but I never had a consultant. So we were kind of free to do kind of whatever we wanted to. And so being in a top 30 market an hour, uh, northeast of San Francisco was a great place to be. You had uh, a great music venue in town for big acts to come through. So, um, but you had to learn everything. And so what I learned is, you know, I learned some engineering stuff. Um, I would do live overnights from midnight to six. I stayed and produced the morning show till 10. And then they were the production team. And so when they got done at 10, they went into the production room and I'd probably stay for an extra hour or two after that. So, you know, I was doing 12 hour days, but I mean, we were goofing off and having fun, so it didn't feel like a 12-hour day. So you say it was kind of free and you did what you wanted to do. What were a couple things you were able to do in that experience that you couldn't have done in a more traditional radio format? Oh, I mean, the first hour of my shift every night, I literally picked the music. I mean, I had a full hour from midnight to 1 a.m. that I could do a true all request. It wasn't based on... You know, this particular record is going to play every hour and 10 or hour and 30, whatever the consultants want it to be. Um, we had Selector, you know, but that hour, um, I pulled all that music. And so I took requests and I, I played the stuff I wanted to play. You just don't get that in a lot of places. And this is in the mid-90s. Um, you definitely don't get that now. But of course, with podcasts and Internet streaming and everything, you get a little bit more freedom. But mid-90s, hardcore terrestrial radio, that just it didn't exist. I don't know if you're aware that if you look through the old YouTube machine and search for a quad, there's a few things oh, out there. Oh, I am aware. <laughs> I, am, I am fully aware of the videos that are there. So, uh, it's interesting because I don't have a lot of the air checks from that time. Um, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I, you know, I was just a rock jock and, a, and you know, up in Sacramento at the station that I kind of grew up listening to. Um, I didn't really, I didn't do a good job of keeping air checks and all that. So now with with YouTube, I've gone back and. There's a great uh, volleyball video, which is kind of nice. It's a, it's a the event that happened the, the year after I got hired from playing the event, and there's a, a voice on the PA uh, doing a break, and that's actually my voice doing a break. So that's that's probably the best air check that I have. Um, there's a great Q&A video on there that hopefully will disappear at some point <laughs> in my life. Um, but yeah, it's you know the the internet's an, an amazing thing and. Um, you know, I'm still in contact with Alex Cosper. He lives in San Diego, and he's kind of a free spirit. And writes about the music industry and how to be independent in the big day of the man trying to get you down. That's kind of how Alex is. And, but that station, you know, we launched talent that went off to uh, big stations in San Francisco and, and other places. Uh, Ali Storm, who was big in San Francisco for a long time. and There, there was some phenomenal talent that uh, that came out of that station because we just could do whatever. And it was kind of cool, and then once we all got enough training and enough reps to feel like we could go on someplace else, we all got out of Dodge quick. So since this is a sports broadcasting podcast, how did you make the jump from alternative radio where you could do whatever you want to, uh, by via LinkedIn it says your next job was a sports director for Clear Channel in Los Angeles. That's a pretty big jump to make. How did you get into sports? It was an accident. So a, fr- a friend of mine who worked at the radio station in Sacramento uh, moved to Los Angeles and started working at KISS FM, producing the night show with a guy named Valentine. KISS FM at that time was the home of the famous Rick Dees. And uh, they had somehow wrestled 
the rights to the Dodgers away from KBC, and they also had gotten the radio rights to UCLA football and basketball. This is pre uh, Learfield kind of coming in, IMG coming in. Um, UCLA's rights were uh, the radio rights were just with the radio station, and the rest of the marketing was handled internally. And so she called me up and said, "Hey, man, they've got some some openings down here. You might want to check it out." My goal was to go to LA, take this job that they weren't quite sure what it was going to be, and then I was going to try to get a job at the alternative station in San Diego. Uh, that was a JCOR station at the time, pretty legendary. It's still there. Um, it's now an iHeart station. That was my plan. I really hadn't planned on going into sports. I like sports, but, you know, I was a music jock. And so I ended up at Extra Sports. It's gone through many incarnations. It was Extra Sports 1150, Sports Radio LA. It's now on the 570 signal. Um, it's mostly Fox Sports Radio for the most part, and then uh, syndication. And uh, the woman that was hiring, her name was Gwen. She was old school Hollywood. She smoked about 18 packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> And she called me up and said, sweetheart, you're too qualified. That's, that's how it came out. And I said, I don't care. I want to be in L.A. She's like, we're only hiring for board ops. I'm like, I don't care. I'll take whatever job. I was going to be in Los Angeles. And so uh, she hired me. At that point, I was doing middays in Sacramento. I had worked my way up. And uh, this is in uh, like January, February of 97. They were just starting the sports station on the old KISS AM signal which uh, was 1150 um, and so I went down there and within the first day they were just simulcasting extra sports 690 out of San Diego and uh, legendary guys like Hacksaw Hamilton were on that station and uh, you know we, we were kind of simulcasting and putting in a couple of spots here and there and, and waiting to launch the full-blown extra sports and so I showed up that day and I met with the PD uh, at the time a guy named Bo Bennett and he said, you know, you seem like you're not super stupid and that you might be able to figure this out, so uh, you're going to be my right-hand guy. And that developed into being the sports director, executive producer. So I was in the right place in the right time, uh, recognized it, had no idea what the job would entail. I immediately called a friend of mine named Mike Ramey, who was running uh, the sports station in Sacramento, uh, Hot Talk 1140. I called him up and said, hey, man, I'm in L.A. He goes, you're where? I said, I'm in L.A., and I'm at the sports station, and I have some questions for you. And, uh, and it went from there. So I just, and once again, I spent, I bet you it was 70 hours a week at that radio station. I had no life outside of the station. I was there super early, super late. Uh, I ate many meals in the conference room at the palatial studios of uh, J-Corps and KISS FM. And uh, I just learned everything I could. And you know, fake it till you make it, man. If somebody asked me if I knew how to do something, absolutely I knew how to do that. And then I'd go make a phone call to somebody that I knew who knew how to do it and uh, and then learned. So when it comes to both the play-by-play and sports talk, were you ever doing that? Because that's obviously what you hire for, or were you always behind the board? You know, it's interesting. I've, I, you know, I was on-air talent. I did regular music radio, but I also did a free-form talk show um, at, in, in Sacramento at Quad, uh, it was more of one of those you have to do certain amount of, of uh, you know, public relations type materials um, and shows. And so I, I just did this show that was public interest, if you will, and it just needed to be entertaining. So, I mean, I was doing a couple of hours of talk a week. Um, once again, I listened to sports talk. I mean, at that point, I was 
Jim Rome was just starting to break out, and I listened to Romy every once in a while. I got it. You know, I, I understood it. Um, for me, it was more of an operational thing. I, I understood the operations of radio at the time. Um, I understand being on the air, so therefore I could coach talent, at least from being on the air to some degree. Um, but it's taken years. I mean, you go back. I mean, I got on the air in 1995. This is you know, 2016. It has taken some time to learn this. And then spending time in L.A. and being around that talent, um, you know, Chris Roberts was the voice of UCLA at the time. I spent a lot of time with Chris Roberts, and I learned a lot from him. I couldn't have had a better talent to listen to on a regular basis to understand how do you do this correctly. Um, so I've taken that with me. Um, that year that I went down, we started with UCLA football in the fall of, of 1997. Uh, we acquired the Dodgers after the 97 season. So in the spring of 98, we took over the Dodgers. And I was thrust into the booth with uh, this broadcaster that I think is probably the greatest of all time. Most people have heard of him. His name is Vin Scully. And, uh, and I spent some years with Vin. So that leads me into something I was planning to get to at some point. But you spent a lot of time with Vin Scully Everyone knows how good he is. He's a legend. What makes him tick? What makes him as good as he is? What's different about him? Well, here's the bottom line. He has natural given talent, period. You can learn to do broadcasting, and you can get to a certain level by learning broadcasting, but legends have it, right? So Jack Buck had it. Vin Scully has it. Um, these guys just get what they're doing. They also come from a very different era. If you think about it, Vin started his career and spent a good portion of it in an era where not every game was on television. So he was the guy, and he was calling 162 regular season games a year. Repetition is the key to this game of ours. So you know, if you're a football play-by-play guy and you call a game a week over the course of the season, that's great. If you're a baseball guy and you can call short A, you can even call, you know, you know, low A ball, and you can call 80 to 120, you know, good for you if you can get in and call 162 plus, that's how you're going to get good. And so, you know, Vin, Vin had natural talent, he had great teachers, and he came up in a time that we can never replicate. But doing 162 plus games a year, that's how you get good. You know, we tell guys all the time, you don't need to be the voice of a particular program or be hired by a particular team to go out and get these reps. You can go pay a couple bucks on a Friday night and take your recorder up to the top of the bleachers, and you can call as many games as you can get to so that you get those reps in, because that's how you're going to get better. And so that's what I know about Vin. He is unbelievable when it comes to prep, but at the end of the day, what really makes Vin different than everybody is he has a connection with you. And he has a connection because of the style of broadcast that he does. He doesn't work with a partner. He works one-on-one. And he has that one-on-one connection. And when I was a jock at Quad, one of the things that Alex taught me was, hey, man, put a picture of your girlfriend or your mom or somebody up on this board. And so when you're doing a break, talk to that person. Talk to that picture. You know, make a connection with that particular person. And as silly as it sounds, I did that uh, for a long time. Um, That's what Vin does. He connects with you. You you feel like he is talking to you and to you only. Um, And it's what I love about him. What makes Vin even better is the type of person that he is off the air. As great as he is on the air, he's even better off the air. He treats you like an equal. He, he knows where his place in history is. Don't get me wrong. He understands what he has done 
for the game, for the Dodgers, for our industry. But he's very, very humble when it comes to those things, and he likes to treat people the way they want to be treated. When you first meet him, if you've never met him before, you will feel like you have met many times prior by the way he greets you. What is his preparation process like? Obviously, he does it better than anybody else. You know, what, how does he prepare differently, or is it just one of those things where he just has so much experience that he, ha- he can just fall back on that? Well, he knows. Well, first of all, he's been doing this a, a long time, right? So you just have those things in the back of your mind. But he has a bag that goes from game to game, this really nice satchel, and there, there are folders for each of the clubs that they're going to see, and he's got clippings, and he's got interest stories. And, you know, listen, not to pull the, the, the curtain back, but, I mean, there's a prep service. Major League Baseball has a prep service, and you get a lot of these stories about how a particular pitcher grew up with only a mother and they went outside and played catch in front of the barn. I mean, yeah, a lot of that stuff is readily out there for all of us. The difference is how is it delivered? When Vin delivers that story, it's his story. That story, I'm reading a story. That's the difference, and that's why he's so good at what he does. So being part of that broadcast group, give us some unique stories. Pull back the curtain for us of just some unusual things that happened broadcasting baseball with the greatest of all time. Well, I mean, listen, you got to travel with the guy, and so I've seen him outside of of the broadcast booth, and, um, you know, when you travel with these guys, you, you really do get to see what kind of people they truly are. So traveling with Ben was, you know, it, the greatest storyteller ever. And so the same type of stories that you get on the air, they were even better off the air. Um, you know, I've seen some crazy stuff. I mean, I was there, you know, 98 through 2000, and then I left. I did some other things. And I came back starting in the 2003 season through the end of the 2006 season. And, I mean, I was through Gagne's save streak. I've been through some incredible at-bats, you know, these 20, 25-pitch at-bats um, that end in a home run. Um, you know, it, it's not that anything's super different off the air, but you're, you're just hanging out at a club with your friends. I mean, we'd go to spring training. I still went to Vero Beach before they were in Arizona. So, I mean, I went to to man camp with these guys. I mean, we all hung out in South in Central Florida, in Dodger Town, in Vero Beach, in this legendary place where just unbelievable players had been. I mean, Jackie Robinson had been there. It's unbelievable. And and then here comes Vin, and he's in his his cool uh, Gucci white loafers and his Sansa belt pants and a and a sports shirt. They called it. The funny thing is, is that Vin's wardrobe for spring training has gone in and out of style probably 30 times (laughs) you know i mean you go look at anybody walking all these hipsters walking down the street they got these cool gucci loafers ben bought those when they were new way back when i mean the man is is unbelievable what people i don't think realize is that you know baseball is his passion but his culture is what he loves i mean he loves france he loves uh, Broadway show tunes. I, I believe, unless it's changed in the last couple of years, that uh, his driver, uh, when he's coming into the ballpark, he's listening to Broadway show tunes. Um, he's not listening to baseball. He's not listening to somebody else. Um, Vince knows his job when he gets to the ballpark, and he preps accordingly. But he's not always taking it home. And I, I do think that that's part of it. I, For me especially, I, there are times when people say, oh, you, 
you know, you must watch a lot of NFL and all these other things. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm in the college world every Saturday for football, especially. On Sundays, I don't watch the NFL. I watch DIY. I watch, you know, the Food Channel because I've just had so much of it. You know, if you work at Baskin Robbins, you probably don't always eat ice cream when you go home. Um, and I'm that way. And I think Vinny's probably that way as well. So, you know, listen, it, there's, there's enough stories, you know, these Bull Durham type stories, you know, somebody carries your bag and you travel, you know, on these beautiful charters and there's, there's really no airline rules on a charter, right? You can lean the seat back on takeoff and I've seen players standing up in the back of the plane on takeoff. You know, there's all these cool things, but you know, it's a fraternity of ours and we kind of keep that special. And, um, you know, if someone gets the privilege to be in that, they should really enjoy it for as long as they can because, um, it's an unbelievable club to be part of. I, I, I got to tell you, man, one of the things that I teach guys, or not teach because that's really a lame thing to say, but the advice that I give a lot of these broadcasters is that, you know, there are certain things that we have to protect. You know, I, I had a particular uh, person that when I worked with the Dodgers who was part of the news division at CBS and uh, said to me one day, how come you don't get more interviews on the team plane? You, you have exclusive access to these guys. Why aren't you, why aren't you doing that? He didn't get it, you know. When I got on that airplane, I was just part of that crew. I was part of the traveling party. Um, that's a safe haven for players. Um, in fact, on most team planes, anybody who's part of the staff stays in the front of the plane, and the emergency exit row is the line of demarcation. And So players are in the back. Um, players are more than welcome to come up front. Nobody else goes to the back. It's just an unwritten rule. Um, you know, so we, we hold a lot of this stuff. Um, close, you know, we just, we just don't want to share it for, you know, for a lack of a, a better term, not being the one to ruin it. I understand. I mean, I cover a very small team and it's the same thing with what goes on on the back of the bus, I suppose, only just on a smaller level. It's the level. same at every single level, man. It doesn't matter whether you're doing short A rookie ball or you're calling a small, you know, division, division three school, or you're with, you know, you're Eli Gold with Alabama. Um, it's the same. You know, and so you gotta, there has to be that separation. In the college world, especially, here's what's really tough, and, and I don't mean to take in all sorts of places without following what you want to do, but, you know, while we're talking about this, you know, if you're a 22, 23, 24 year old broadcaster and you're calling women's basketball, women's volleyball sports at a college, and these players are 18, 19, 20, 21, that is a tough world to be in. <laughs> and so you have to decide. What am I on this trip? Am I an extension of the marketing department? Am I in the voice of the program? Am I, you know, play-by-play for this particular sport? Or am I here to be a 22, 23, 24, 25-year-old individual? And those lines are going to be blurred. And that's tough for people to handle sometimes. Um, Trust me, when you get to be 46 like me, it's much easier to to have the blur of that line go away. Um, But I think that's tough for a young broadcaster to be in these situations where, you you want to enjoy the fruits of the of, of the work that you've done, right? You want to be able to enjoy the perks that come with the job, but knowing what perks you should take advantage of and perks that you shouldn't is the tough part. You know, that's an interesting topic that I wasn't planning on going to, but this is a podcast, so we'll just roll with it. I mean, <laughs> what are the... How do you set down those ground rules on what you can kind of 
do as far as being close with an athlete or close with a coach and what you can't? Well, you let the coach dictate. So if you're in the college world, and that's the best part I can speak on now. I mean, I, I was in the program. I had a very... I think we can agree in that in high school that you probably shouldn't. Well, here's the thing. So, so in the pros, I had a very close relationship with managers, right? So I was Grady Little was a manager at the time with the Dodgers. Jim Tracy were the guys that I worked with the most. I had a very unique relationship. They knew they could trust me. They knew that there were certain things I was going to have to get on the air and other things that I didn't have to get on the air, but I would need to know for background. And so we set rules, and they would tell me flat out, this is for air, this is not for air. And so once they could trust me and knew that I wasn't out to break stories, because in our world of play-by-play, if you're working for a particular team or a particular school, you're no longer a journalist. You're just not. You know, you're, you're the caretaker of the game. You're the caretaker of that broadcast. You're the facilitator. Your job is to bring the action on the field to those who either can't be there to watch it in person or are there in person and want to hear you so you can give them more insight to what's going on. So you're not there necessarily to break stories. And that's hard for people. We all want to be the center of attention. Most of us that got into this business were the ones in elementary school that on our report card said, talks too much to their neighbor. I mean, that's a sure sign you're going to go into this business. If that's what you did when you were a kid, <laughs> you want attention, this is where you need to be. No, not everybody. I've met, you know, White Thompson at K-State. I don't think was that kind of guy. He's super talented. I don't think he never doesn't necessarily wants to be in the spotlight all the time. I'm that guy, right? I'm always the loudest in the group. I'm always the one that is willing to go take a chance and do something stupid and embarrass myself. That's who I was. So, you know, I, these guys had to trust me. And so, you know, working with them over time, they got to know me, and, and they would tell me things confidentially. In the college game, it's even more so because you're dealing with young athletes. You're, you're dealing with, um, you know, very, very People when they're at their stupidest. Well, there's that, too. I mean, <laughs> gosh, I mean, hell, I'm, like I said, I'm 46 years old. I'm not quite sure I've gotten out of that realm of stupid, to be honest with you. But, you know, so if you're, you know, a young broadcaster and you're starting out, and let's say you're the women's basketball play-by-play talent, that's a very logical place to start. You want to have a conversation with that head coach before the season ever starts and say, Coach, I just want to set the rules so I know where I need to be. You know, is practice open to me? And if it is, where do you want me to be? Um, you know, how do you want me to approach you for pregame interviews? What's the best timing on that? When we're on the plane, where do you want me to sit? These all sound like really silly, trivial things, but they're super important. And your coach is going to respect you more by asking these questions. And so, you know, the head coach will say, well, hey, when we're on the plane or we're on the bus or wherever, you know, on the train, uh, I prefer that the play-by-play talent sit up here with me. Great. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, that's your gig. That's your job. And so that's how you that's how you're going to learn these things. And it's you have to ask. At the end of the day, we're all going to be beholden to, you know, the head coach, the manager, you know, whoever's in charge of that team, that's who we need to be beholden to, and that's who we need to follow the lead of. That kind of leads me into another thing that's a little bit related where – if your team isn't playing well, how do you be critical of a team, even though, like you said, you're not necessarily a journalist, you're not out to break stories, but how do you retain your credibility while not upsetting coaches or ADs? Well, here's a, here's a tough thing. You're not always going to be able to do that. You're not always going to be able to make everybody happy. The standard rule that I've always told guys is it's one thing to be critical, it's another to be personal. So here's an example. 
you're uh, you're doing baseball. The manager makes a really awful call at the end of the game, and it can go one of two ways. It can go Joe Johnson. I'm not sure I would have made that same decision as Joe. You know, Joe thinks he knows his team. I get that. But I've watched enough of these games that, in my opinion, this is the move I would have made. That's a critical comment on that particular move. Horrible example, but once again, that's why I'm on this side of the mic now and not on yours. The, the personal side would be, Joe Johnson's an idiot. How in the world is this guy still coaching? It's that simple. Now, being critical is tough. Nobody necessarily wants to do it. If you're too light, your fans think you don't have any credibility. If you're too heavy, the team thinks you're against them. Where's the balance in the middle? Open communication. Talk to the head coach that you're working with. Talk to the manager you're working with and say, hey, man, you know, last night you probably heard I said this and this and this. Here's why I said it. I hope you understand that I, I've got I to gotta give people some stuff that's truthful, but I, do, I don't want you to think I'm trying to throw you under the bus. Most of those guys will get it. Not all of them. Some are going to hate you. It happens. You're not going to make everybody happy. But there is that fine line between critical and personal. Be critical. Don't be personal. So certainly after that, towards your end of the time as the Dodgers producer, you know, there was a little bit of controversy. They switched stations. They didn't rehire you. Obviously, you've reacted and been just fine since then, but how did you handle that transition in your life where you had been basically at the top of what you had wanted to do, producing the Dodgers, and then had to find something new? One day you're just out on the street. Well, it's interesting because the way, the way it went down was the rights were at uh, with KFWB uh, in Los Angeles, and that's who had the rights. So that's who I technically worked for. All I did was Dodgers. And technically, I, I wasn't let go because uh, they were changing stations. I actually stayed on that station for one more year after I left. Uh, David Hall and I, who was the news director at the time, didn't necessarily see eye to eye. Uh, I had a very expensive contract, and so um, they cut me a deal. And so at the end of the uh, 06 season, uh, they decided to pay out my contract through the rest of the year, which was great. Um, it was fine. I mean, I had been doing that a long time. I'd been on the road. I had done national radio at Fox for a while. I had produced a small show called Pharrell on the Bench for a while. Um, and I say small show tongue-in-cheek because anybody who's been in the sports talk world knows Scotty and, and knows the power that he is. He's on CBS radio currently. Um, you know, at the end of the day, things happen for a reason and so i'm in southern california and um i literally had my contract paid out one day and all access posted uh the story that day and i think a few days later i got a phone call from learfield that said hey we've been looking for somebody uh to help us we're getting ready to grow we want some major market influence uh, they flew me out, flew my wife out, and really, by the time I got back, so this happened end of October, and by November 10th, uh, I had a job with, with Learfield and had my house on the market. So, I mean, I really wasn't out of work very long, and I was getting paid. I got paid all the way to the end of the year. Um, so I kind of doubled it for a while, which everyone should have the luxury of doing. Um, I've been very lucky in my career. I, you know, I started in the top 30 market. I worked in the number two radio market in the country. I did national radio. Um, I went back to LA and did the Dodgers. And now, um, I work for, you know, in my opinion, the best college marketing company that there is. Um, when I got here in December of 06, we had 22 schools. Uh, last fall, 
that number was 112. And so I, I currently oversee 112 uh, radio networks. So I, I really have no complaints. So you came up behind the board and behind the mic, and now you are in management. How often do you miss kind of being down on the front lines on the air behind the board? I miss it this time of year because usually about two, three days from now, I'd be getting on a plane to go to spring training for six weeks. Um, so I miss it right about now. I miss it during the playoffs, although my time at the Dodgers, we didn't make the playoffs very often, so I was usually playing golf by mid-October. Um, you know, I've been to enough big events, right? I've, I've produced national sports talk radio, so I've been to heavyweight fights. I was at the Tyson Holyfield bite-off. Um, I've been at some amazing events. I've been at Super Bowls. I've been at All-Star Games. I've been to a World Series. I've done these things, which is nice, and now at this time in my life, I actually enjoy these events when I'm not there. I enjoy watching the Super Bowl at home. I enjoy watching the national championship at home. Because when I'm in the booth, I'm just in everybody's way right now. Once you get to the broadcast, you don't need me anymore. My job is to make sure that everything that we need to do prior to that broadcast is done, that we have the best tools available, the best audio available, the best talent, the best equipment, and then everyone goes and does what we hire them to do. So I don't miss it that much. I mean, being on the road 18, 19, 20 days a month in Major League Baseball sounds wonderful <laughs> until you actually do it. And I'm not even playing every day. And I wake up in a hotel room and I feel awful. And I didn't even go out and play the night before. Um, flying takes a lot out of you. Hotel rooms, as great as they are, it's still not your house. It's still not your home. So um, these are problems that you cannot complain to anybody about except for those that have done it. You know, I'll get together with friends of mine and say, oh, you remember way back when when we had to go do da 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 And they're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But if I tell my neighbor how horrible it was for me to fly on a Major League Baseball charter and stay at the Westin Hotel and have someone take <laughs> bags into my room, they have absolutely no sympathy for me. I guess I want to go to what you do now at Lear. Actually, I'm going to change my mind. It's a podcast. I can back It's a podcast, here. man. Listen, <laughs> the rules no longer apply. That's the beauty of things like satellite radio and podcasts. You can do whatever the hell you want. Can you watch a game without being critical and thinking of it as, how is this talent doing? Can you sit back and just enjoy it and no. turn everything off? No. Same reason why my wife uh, runs restaurants. And when we go out to eat, she doesn't enjoy it like somebody who should. You just don't. And it's not because you're trying to. You just, you know, when I was doing sports talk radio, I was in the era where we did a lot of movie drops, TV drops. Thank God that's kind of going away a little bit. Um, it probably should. Um, but I was knee-deep in that era. And so I would go to the movies, and I wouldn't enjoy the movie. I'd be listening for drops that I can use in my show and imaging and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's the problem with whatever it is that you do in life. Um, you tend to take your business into your personal life. Um, you know, when I listen to national guys, it's probably easier. I mean, there are some guys on the national level that I like a lot more than others. Um, listen, no disrespect to any of these guys. They've gotten to that level for a reason, and they're super, super talented. Our business is very subjective. You're not going to make everybody happy. Um, talent is talent. Quality is different. And so I, I don't necessarily love everybody that I hear, but I, I have a hard time listening to uh, any game. What I typically do if I am going to watch a game is uh, I will pull up our team on an app and I will pause my DVR and I will sync it up to my app and then I will watch the video with our guys. 
Hmm. And then I'm working at that point, but better to work, I guess. So what would you say to someone who was calling high school games or NAI college games who said it was their goal to one day work for Learfield? What should they be doing now? Keep doing it. Keep calling games. Treat that NAIA game or the high school game like you're the voice of Indiana. Because it's no different. It's important to those people that are listening. It's important to those players. Um, just because it's a high school game doesn't give it any less, imp- or any, any less importance than you know, Indiana playing Ohio State. Um, you know, it's only as it's only as small as you want to make it. So now, don't get me wrong. You don't need to be ridiculously over the top on every single play that happens, right? There's that fine line between calling a game and being ridiculous. Um, but go into that prep. You know, it, there's there's all sorts of cheesy things out there in the business world, right? So like, dress for the job you want, not the job you have, and all stuff like that, right? But it's kind of true in our business. You know, call the game as if it's the game you really want to be doing. Why call a high school game any different than your Jones Angel at North Carolina? Why would you call that high school game any different? You shouldn't, you know, because you're only going to get better if you're doing your best every single night. You're not going to hit it every single night. It's just not going to happen. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to get better by doing reps. And the only way you're going to get better in the reps is to call it the same way on a regular basis so that you can get better you can do a better job don't call that high school game different just because it's a high school game that's not fair to those that are listening you know it's not fair to the players that are giving their all on the field what if you're just driving down the highway with the radio on flipping through the dial and it happens to come across a random station doing high school play-by-play what catches your attention from announcers that you think makes great play-by-play they gave me the score. Did they say I mean, the damn score? Day, yeah, they do. It's, it's ironic that uh, you picked the perfect name for your podcast. Because, listen, at the end of the day, people only give a crap about three things, right? And I know it's a podcast, but I'm trying to watch my language. They only give a crap about three things. Down and distance, time, and score, if you're doing football, right? All these other little stories about how this quarterback came up with the, with the grandmother who, you know, he was an orphan by his parents, and that, 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 those are great. Those, those, you can sprinkle those in. But if you haven't given me the score in the last minute, minute and a half, I'm yelling at you through my dashboard. I look like a maniac to anybody driving around me because I'm yelling apparently at nobody because no one's in the car with me, right? Get the basics down, down in distance, time, and score. I need those things. If you don't give me those things, I could care less about your little anecdote. That drives me insane. And, you know, Listen, we can all call highlights. There's a guy that sits on a bar stool next to me at Buffalo Wild Wings. He can call a highlight. (laughs) I need you to paint the picture for me. I'm in my car. I can't see the field. I love somebody that even goes so far. It's an antiquated thing to do, but I still love it. You know, from left to right on your dial. I love that. I really do. I now have the orientation of what's happening. I can picture it in my head. If you do a good enough job of describing the game, I can now envision it, envision it in my head. But if you don't give me the score, I'm going to scream at you. You won't hear me, but now I'm not going to enjoy myself because I'm screaming at you just to tell me what the hell is the score, how much time is left in the game, what inning are we in. I need those things. This is not television. So you take, I'm sure, hundreds of cover letters and resumes from people every week who 
think that they're ready to be ready for Learfield. How do you know when you're ready to be applying for a Learfield job as opposed to staying and getting more reps where you're at? I, you know, I don't know if there's a, you know, listen, if you feel, if you're at a certain comfort level that you've mastered the basics and you can give me that down distance time and score, all that fun stuff, you're not tripping over yourself trying to call every single ball movement of a, of a basketball game. You know, you've gotten to the point where you feel confident that I'm ready to go. That's what matters. It's how do you feel, you know? Here's, here's the reality, though. There's so many openings a year, and there's not many. Going into this fall, I'll likely have two. That's a lot in any given year. Typically, it's one, and then sometimes I'll go a year or two without anything. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have a random women's fill-in here or another fill-in over here, you know, and, I, and I do get resumes all the time. Here's the problem. I have 112 schools, and I tell you that number for a reason. It means that out of 112 schools, there's at least two play-by-play talent at those schools, so 224-plus people who already work for us that need love and attention, right? We're a needy group. That's why we got into this business. Look at me, look at me, look at me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Let's all be honest. Let's all call it for what it is. We are all attention whores. If not, we wouldn't do this. Why in the world would we subject ourselves to any of this abuse if we didn't want the attention and the fun, right? So there's 200-plus people that I have to pay attention to daily anyways. And out of those guys, the Power Fives are probably going to get a lot of attention because they're right here in my office. I can step outside of my door right now. I have glass opening. I'm looking at it now. 25 of the biggest schools in the country are physically produced right outside of my door. So on any given day, Alabama, Oregon State, Penn State, Indiana, K-State, you name it, they're all right here. So, you know, you've got to pick and choose your time. You're going you're gonna to send something out to me or John Chelesnick at STAA or Chris Ferris or David Shumate over at IMG, and you're going to hope that your stuff hits us on the right day and the right time that we go, oh, you know what, i got five minutes. Let me open this up and listen to it. Better off reaching out and taking care of some of the re- taking advantage of some of the resources that are out there, like message boards on certain websites where you can post your play-by-play and get critiques from your from your peers. Because here's the bottom line: this is a jealous group of people. They are going to be brutally honest with you because they don't want you to succeed. Don't let them fool you. The guy next to you doesn't want you to succeed because you're going to take a job that he wants. Therefore, they're going to be brutally honest. So if you can actually get a critique from your peers, I think you're better off than someone like me or Chris Ferris or David Shoemate. Our time will come with you. You know, when I'm trying to hire for, you know, Montana, you know, the University of Montana, I'm going to hire for it this year. We're going to start the process probably at the end of the month. Um, but what's the reality of that? I've only called high school football. Now I'm going to go to a D1 school. You know how many people are going to apply for that D1 job? It's a tough, tough racket. So, you know, Spend the time, get the reps, get critiques from your peers, you know, take advantage of resources out there like stwa.com, free, free job boards there. You can go and check stuff out. Um, you can reach out to guys like me and Chris Ferris. You can reach out to other play-by-play guys. I know White Thompson at K-State listens to stuff on a regular basis. He feels like he needs to give back to our industry. and He's a, he's a gentleman and a scholar for that. I appreciate that about him. Um, there's a lot of guys like that in our industry. Find somebody that can help mentor you who doesn't have a gig like me and Chris, because we're slammed. And, I mean, that's just the reality. I, I hate to come off like a douche, but that's, that's how it works, man. i got 220 guys that need my attention, 
and then I get another 200 plus on a regular basis that just want me to listen. And so I try. Um, I feel like I owe something to our industry as well. I've been very, very lucky, right place, right time, and worked my butt off, and I think I've earned what I've gotten to. But there's times that I feel like i got to give back as well. But That's why you do podcasts like this one. Well, listen, I mean, I, I enjoy things like this because I think if, if I can help a couple of people turn some light bulbs on that go, oh, my gosh, if it's spinning my wheels, why am I doing it like that? Let me try it like this. You know, we all know the definition of insanity. You know, don't do that. Try something different. And so, but take advantage of what's out there. Um, and then and then be realistic. You know, if if I'm writing the press release, and by the way, if John Chalesnik ever listens to this, which he will, he stole this from me, and he knows that he stole this from me. You write the press release. And I say that with all love and respect. I really do love John. But you write the press release. That's a big part of me hiring. So if I say... If I write the press release for the University of Montana, and I write, University of Montana is proud to announce they have just hired Joe Johnson as the voice. Joe comes to us from Poughkeepsie Junior College. No offense, skill set might be there. That's going to be a tough one for the fans to swallow. You did all this search, and this is what you, you got as a junior college kid? They don't even know you, and they already hate you. You know what I'm saying? So... Be realistic. Know that there's some stepping stones. There have been some great jumps in our business. Kevin Kugler is amazing and has made some incredible leaps in our business, probably faster than a lot of people um, will in our business, but he's earned every bit of that. That's a rare thing to have happen. Um, the reality is is you, you call high school and junior college or you know, NAIA schools, and you bust your butt, and you take every freelance opportunity that comes your way, every crappy gate you've got to drive to in bad weather, and do a phone coupler broadcast to somebody on the other end who doesn't care or respect about you, and it, you just keep doing it, and your break will come. Um, but know when you get to a certain spot, i got to jump on this. Or you don't have to jump on every little thing necessarily. This may not be the right gig for me. Let me think about this for a second. Is this the path I want to go? Am I going to be locked into this place for the next five years? Holy cow, I don't want to do that. It's not an easy business we're in. I don't recommend this for anybody, and I mean that sincerely. I don't know why anybody does this. I really don't. Um, we're all just insane for doing it, but at the end of the day, we do it because we love it. We love it because when I walk outside of my door and I've got my production staff out there and we can sit around for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day and talk about how great Deadpool was that we all went and saw over the weekend, that's what makes it great because I'm not out roofing houses, which is a respectable career, but not one that I think I can handle because I'm too much of a wuss. So, you know, appreciate where you are, work really hard, but be realistic. So, what catches your attention when somebody send when you open up that Montana job and you're getting resumes and cover letters? What stands out on those that gets you to actually read more than the first line? You know, I'm really looking for experience. It, it depends on the job I'm hiring for. If I'm hiring for, you know, when I was re we were replacing Woody Durham in North Carolina, that's a different set of, applic of applicants than, you know, we're hiring women's basketball at Vermont, which we are, by the way. If somebody's in the Burlington area and would like to call play-by-play -play for women's basketball, seek me out because I might have an opportunity for you in the fall. Um, remind, remember, it's in Burlington, Vermont, uh, and I don't have any relocation dollars. So, you know, I'm looking for fit, you know. you got to remember, I'm in the college game every day. It's very different than um, 
been calling games for ESPN3 and being in that freelance world, um, or even in the pros, you know, calling minor league baseball, it's very, very different. Um, fans want one of their own. So I'm looking for some kind of natural tie, right? I'm, you know, please let me find somebody that has the play-by-play skills that also went to this school. That's a slam dunk. doesn't happen very often. Um, let me have somebody that has ties to this city, this market, ties to this state, um, you know, worked in this market at some point. Because when the fans listen to a college broadcast, especially to the voice of a program, Don Fisher's a perfect example, when you're not behind the mic, you're still representing that school. When Don Fisher goes to the grocery store, he's still the voice of IU. He's still going to get asked all the questions in the world because the typical fan doesn't get to walk through the athletic department and ask questions. And the AD doesn't do his own shopping. Don Fisher goes out into the world. He's the guy. You can approach Don Fisher and say, Don, what's the team look like this year? And he's going to tell you. Trust me. He's going to tell you exactly what he thinks they're going to do. That's a huge responsibility. And so, you know, we're looking for guys that make sense. When you get down to the top 10, 15 guys when we're doing a job search, they can all do it. They can all do the job. There's 15 guys out there right now that can call play-by-play at the University of Montana. No doubt in my head. 15 guys right now that can do the job. But what's going to be the difference? What's going to make you stand out? If you don't have any of those ties, it's going to be personality. It's going to be how you handle yourself off the mic, not necessarily on the mic. I've met a lot of guys that are unbelievable on the mic, and they are horrible, horrible people when the mic gets shut off. Horrible people. And that turns you off. You don't want to deal with it. So I'm looking for the right fit. And I, I wish I could give you, you know, the exact recipe of what that looks like. I can't. Nobody can. Because every, every situation is going to be different. Um, University of Montana a good school. Um, I hate to use the word stepping stone school because I think every school feels like they're the only one in the world that should matter. And the University of Montana is the same way. The Grizz wants somebody that will be there for a long time. Uh, Nick Colleen spent 30 plus years there. Um, but let's, let's think about reality. You know, That's a great place to go for two, three, four years and then move on to a bigger school. Um, so that's a little bit different hire than say, you know, I'm, uh, we hired Toby Rowland at Oklahoma and it was, he's replacing Bob Berry Sr. Very different. So that's an interesting thing you bring up because I went to a small NAI school because I had an athletic scholarship, which ended up being a really poor decision. Now I'm up to my rear end in student loan debt and am trying to make it in radio. But obviously Morningside College is not a Learfield school and doesn't really have any connections. Do you, if you come up from a small school instead of kind of one of the major schools where you cover or a broadcast factory, does that put you at a disadvantage? You know, it depends on which one I'm hiring for. Once again, if, if, if we're hiring for Oklahoma, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't have a strong chance because it's hard to sell the school on. I have to sell the AD. I have to sell the alumni. I have to sell the coaching staff on. This is the guy that's going to be around you day in and day out in your private business. You know, he's going to be in the locker room with you guys. He's going to be on that team plane. It, these are all super key factors in what we do. Um, if it's a Montana job or if it's a Southern Illinois job, and these are just schools I'm throwing out on top of my head, it's a little different hire. Um, at the end of the day, it's still who's got the best talent and who's the right fit. Um, I, yeah, I... It's, it's, you know, I go through this a lot. A couple times a year I speak to, to broadcasters in different venues, and I don't have, the, I don't have the, the formula. I don't have the exact formula of why things turn out the way they do. 
Um, I've seen other hires for my competition where I went, ooh, I would have thought it would have been so-and-so and it was somebody else, and I went, ooh, that's weird. I, w- I didn't see it that way. So it's very subjective. Um, and it depends on how I feel. And, man, if I'm having a bad day and I get your stuff, I mean, I'm human. It, I, who knows? AD's having a bad day, and I send four examples, and the first person he hears reminds him of something his wife said to him on the way out the door that she was complaining about. Well, you're done. Um, it's a horrible bit. Did I mention this is a horrible business? <laughs> it's a horrible business. Where do you see the future of sportscasting going with, uh, you know, terrestrial radio kind of moving to digital podcasting, not replacing talk radio, but certainly supplementing it? Where do you see the future of this industry going as far as play-by-play sports and talk radio? Both of them kind of separately address them. Well, I think from a play-by-play, you know, our world is going to be great because I look at terrestrial radio as one outlet, satellite radio as another, apps like TuneIn um, as another. Uh, the school official streaming is different. They're all just outlets for me. So I don't think the play-by-play... Um, you know, radio is a very generic term we can use now. The audio play-by-play, if you will, um, is not going to go anywhere anytime soon. We have enough outlets. You know, when TuneIn came into, into prominence this last couple of years, I didn't do anything different to our broadcast. We still run the broadcast the exact same way we ran them before. They just You can get them on TuneIn just like you can get them on terrestrial radio. I think that's great for everybody. I think that those of your generation probably spend more time listening on some other device than the radio in their car or in their house. Um, and I'm fine with that. I, I love the digital platform. I really do. Um, as long as it allows us to keep doing what we're doing, that's fantastic. Um, as far as talk radio goes, it, here's the thing. If you can make money doing it and get a following, then it really doesn't matter where you are. Um, the hard part is going to be weighing what's good and what will attract people, and yet how can you sustain this and be in business, right? So um, this podcast is not the only thing that you do, clearly. Um, we know that. And so, you know, are there enough podcasts out there right now that could sustain you by yourself? I mean, there's not a whole lot. There's probably four or five that make a ton of money where guys can actually, that's their living, right? The rest of us are doing this because it's, A, it's a passion, or it's a great marketing tool for other things that we do, or it's a, it's a complementary program to other things that we do. And I think that's, that's where we are with play-by-play especially. The, these platforms are just complementary to everything else we do. Uh, Sports Talk Radio is an interesting animal. I, you know, I did it. I produced it. Uh, you know, my buddy Pharrell was... Uh, he went from regular syndicated radio to working for Howard Stern on his secondary channel, which was a perfect platform for him because he could say all the things that we used to say in commercial breaks, but he could say it on the air and not have to worry about it. <laughs> um, now he's gone back to CBS. I don't know how he gets through an entire night without dropping an F-bomb, uh, but he does because he's super talented. Um, I'm not sure where sports talk goes, to be honest with you. Um, I'm probably not the best guy to ask about sports talk from a content standpoint, because I'm not a fan of the hardcore sports talk. I love guys like Dan Patrick, uh, Pharrell. I like entertainers. I like guys that, and this is a horrible, we never want to mention this in the radio business, right? But guy talk, right? We all, ugh, ugh. <laughs> Why in the world will we say that? Those are the shows that I think are the better shows, because you're weaving everything through the sports window, 
but it's not hardcore X's and O's. Not everyone's a hardcore X's and O's fan. I'm not a hardcore X's and O's fan. I hate to go to a party where somebody knows what I do for a living and they want to break down Mizzou stats for the upcoming game because Mizzou is in my backyard. I have no clue. None. My job is to make sure the broadcasts are phenomenal. Half the time on a Saturday, I don't know if we won or lost any of our games across the board because that's not my outcome. My outcome is, did we get on the air on time? Did all the spots play? Did we have great content? Did it sound amazing? Did we, you know, were we clean? That's what I'm looking for. So I'm not quite sure where Sports Talk Radio goes. I think the Dan Patricks of the world are going to figure out a hybrid of some, of some sport, uh, sort. Um, the play-by-play is not going anywhere. Who are your favorite play-by-plays announcers to listen to? And give us a couple, you know, ones that everyone would know that you, of course, like. And give us a couple obscure ones that are maybe at some of your smaller schools that you would particularly enjoy listening to. Well, I'll tell you that, in my opinion, one of the best broadcasters in the country right now is Ryan Radke at Nevada. And he's not a household name. He's at the University of Nevada at Reno. He's the AAA voice of the Arizona Diamondbacks in Reno. Um, that's a guy who's busted his butt and has figured out a way to finally cobble it together where he can call play-by-play year-round. He does stuff for us, and, of course, he does baseball. Um, you know, Eli Gold is amazing. Uh, Steve Jones at Penn State, great play-by-play guy. I love Toby's passion at Oklahoma. Dave Walsh at Wyoming, most people don't get to listen to Dave. He's phenomenal because he gets it. He knows how to tell the story. He knows how to connect with you. He knows how to give me down, distance, and score. Um, love those guys. There's some good up-and-coming guys. Um, I like uh, I like Corbu Status, who does women's basketball and some football pre and post for us at Minnesota. I think Corbu does a phenomenal job. Um, you know, Jace Anderson at Montana State uh, has been there a couple seasons now. He does a really nice job. Um, but there's some great talent. You know, Mike Kelly at Mizzou, I, you know, I wouldn't say I was a huge – God, I'm going to get skewered for this. I wasn't a huge Mike Kelly fan when I first got here. Now, mind you, Mizzou's in our backyard, right? That's the school that started it all for us. When I go home at night, I live five miles from Faroe Field. And, you know, Mike Kelly's the voice in the zoo. I wouldn't say that I got it when I first got here. He has a particular style. But over the years, he's kind of changed a little bit. He's opened up a little bit. Right now, he's a phenomenal broadcaster. He calls great play-by-play. He paints that picture. He's got a style that is all his own. He's very authoritative. When he calls a game, he's standing up and he's leaning forward. Believe it or not, physicality matters. If you sit and lean back, your play-by-play will not be as good as if you stand up and lean forward. I promise you that. There's something physical about what we do. And so, you know, just like you want to have the right equipment and the right prep, you want to be in the right position for calling these games. Don't lean back when you're calling play-by-play. Lean in. Lean forward. That's what you want to do. Your body will follow that. You touched on something when you were talking about the guy from Nevada. I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. Ryan Radke is his name. He is phenomenal. But you said he's been able to patch together a way to make a living doing just play-by-play all year round. How high on the ladder do you have to get before you get to that point? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's getting high on the ladder. I think it's just being smart. I think I have a lot of guys that, you know, will call – you know, football and men's basketball, they're not making a ton of money doing it. Um, they're not making any more, any less than a guy that has a regular job in town. Um, but then they go call, you know, baseball. Um, I've got guys that call women's basketball at some of my schools that do baseball. 
um, and they managed to kind of make it work. They might have to have you know somebody cover a couple games for them at the beginning of baseball um, on the baseball side. If you work for me, my stuff's usually a priority. So uh, that's kind of how that works. But um, it's really just being resourceful. Now, that being said, if you're going to try to cobble together stuff, here are some things that you don't want to do. Don't buy any furniture or anything that you can't fit in your car. Don't get a dog. Don't necessarily get into a serious relationship if you don't think you're going to be there for very long. You know, think about what it is that you want to do and then set yourself up to succeed at that. You know, just it, it's the hardest thing in the world to not fall into the temptations of things like that, right? Oh, this is the cutest dog in the world. Oh, I'll be able to take this dog wherever I go. And now you're stuck. You're like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So it sounds silly, but I tell guys that. Don't set yourself up for success. You know, if you're going to bounce around, you know, wherever the next opening is, set yourself up for that. Don't buy a lot of fancy stuff, man. Learn to live on ramen. Uh, we've all done it. We've all been there. Thank God for radio station trade, because when I had that job in Sacramento working for the independent owner, <laughs> holy cow, man, if it wasn't for the guys in promotion with food trade, I would have starved. Um, you know, be resourceful. Figure it out. Oh, that's funny. But um, I think I'm about all out of questions. Uh, taking up an hour of your time, I think that's enough. I just want to thank you for coming on again. No, it's not a problem at all, man. I mean, you know, clearly I don't have a problem talking. Uh, anybody in our business that uh, can't talk for an hour straight <laughs> without thinking about it probably shouldn't be doing this. And so uh, I appreciate the time, man. So one of the things I've done with just about everyone I've had on the podcast since the entire uh premise of the website is to help people to improve at play-by-play and all the related stuff that goes with it is grade this interview do you feel like i got you to talk about some things that people haven't brought up before um how would you how would you gauge the effectiveness of this podcast i give you a solid b plus not your fault because i'm a maniac i i drove your conversation right that's just, and this, so this is a good, this is a good test, and you're going to get people like this, right? You want them to come into your world. So in essence, I did come into your world today, but I had the ability to go. I, I'm a bulldog. I mean, this sounds very egotistical, and I don't mean it to be, but I don't have a problem taking over a conversation. Here's what you did great, though. You listened to what I was doing, and rather than try to force me somewhere else, you were flexible and you bid on oh i can take this here i wasn't going to do this yet but i'm going to do it now because it's in front of me does that make sense you did a great job at that so i'm going to give you a solid b plus maybe a minus because you did put up with me for an hour um you know i chris ferris over at img comes from the engineering world i come from the programming world and so the difference between us is he doesn't like people and i enjoy (laughs) people so this would be a very different interview with chris ferris if he would even do it um He's just a quiet kind of guy, and I am not. I'm kind of a bull in the china shop. So you did a great job handling that type of personality. So I'm going to give you a solid A-. minus. I think we're going to stick with the A-. minus. All right. Well, once again, this is the Say the Damn Score podcast. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, or you can look at the top of the page, and there is a subscribe button, and we will just email you every time there is new content here on saythedamnscore.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow me on Twitter, at Logan underscore Radio underscore Logan. I should know my own Twitter handle by now. But once again, Tom Bowman, thanks for joining us here. Gail Seidman looks much better than the picture you're going to put up of me. 
So <laughs> I apologize in advance to anybody who's going to actually have to see my mug, but Gail Seidman looks much better than me. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast on saythedamnscore.com.